In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. The scriptures begin by telling us about this light and darkness. And if you read to the end of the Bible, you'll see light and darkness referred to again. What God seems to be trying to communicate to us, that his, the basics of his activity on the planet Earth is all about light and darkness. It's the basics. It's the first thing to understand. He uses this term light and darkness throughout the Bible, what God revealed to us, in, in a literal sense, like we just read about, but also in a figurative sense. Literally, God is using light and darkness as the basis for all that he creates. And we see light and dark all around us. Even colors are different shades of light and dark. But the term is also used figuratively. And figuratively, darkness means anti-God, death, hatred, lies, deception, immorality, greed, and all kinds of different sins. That's what sin is. It's darkness in the Bible. The Bible also reveals that figuratively, light is God. It's good. It's life. It's understanding. It's truth. It's morality. It's holiness. It's literally salvation. Now, you might think about all this and think, well, what? Yeah, okay, that's nice. And that's, that's a cool thing to understand from scriptures. But what does that have to do with Christmas? Do you understand that Christmas is all about God coming into our dark world to redeem people from the darkness and bring them where? Into the light. That's what Christmas is really all about in the Christmas story and the baby Jesus in the major. It's about God bringing light into the darkness. And boy, we needed it, right? As I put down the sermon outline, Christmas is about light coming into our darkness, and there's a lot of darkness. Like, how about international darkness? It's all around, right? Nation against nation, wars, people being ruled by evil dictators, all kinds of horrible things happening in the world, injustices, abuse, all kinds of things. And even nationally. Is there darkness nationally? Oh, yeah, political darkness for sure. Social darkness for sure. All kinds of darkness with injustice and things happening and, and cruelty and abuse and immorality. But do you understand? The scriptures teach that darkness and light comes right down into every human heart and every human soul. And there's a darkness within each one of us. It's called sin that God wants to redeem us from. And the whole Christmas story is really about that redemption we have because of Jesus Christ. And so before we even take a closer look at this, what I'd like to do is just start with prayer. And let me just pray for you that God would give you wisdom and insight and understanding about the light and darkness, not just in the world, but in your own life. Okay? Let me pray. Lord, I pray for each and every person here, myself included, that as you reveal the, the essential basics of your activity in the world and even the universe is based on light and darkness, literally, the same is true figuratively. You need, 
you, you long to redeem us from the, the darkness that so easily comes into our own heart and mind. It's called sin. And I pray that today each of, each of us would have enough light, enough enlightenment, enough insight into our own life to see where you have not been or where you have been, to be able to understand our own need for your redemption and your light into our darkness. I pray, dear God, for this insight, this understanding, that you'll help us get it. In Jesus' name, amen. There was one author I was reminded of recently. Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King Jr., once said in one of his famous sermons, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. But as you and I all know, the real tragedy is when people are afraid of the light. There's a tendency in all of us to not want to be exposed, not want our sin to be recognized, and to hide in the dark. I would like to present this message with just two simple points. And it's, as you can see, it's a simple sermon, as simple as light and darkness. And yet, there's a tendency for us to get confused. Uh, just like Christmas time, people get it all confused about why Jesus came to earth. It was simply light coming into the darkness. As we're going to see in just a minute, one of the authors, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, describes it clearly that way. Point one in your outline reads like this. Christ came because of the darkness of our souls. And look with me, if you will, at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and how John, the author John, the apostle, writes and talks about light and darkness and Jesus Christ coming. You could say this is John's description of Christmas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus being God here, coming to earth. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. There's that word, the concept. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's referring to John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So clearly, he's describing Jesus as the light of the world, right? The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. But the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people, referring to the Jewish people, did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, Jesus born in a manger, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
The Bible is here describing Jesus' light coming into the darkness, and the darkness in Scripture means like a meaninglessness, purposelessness, just like aimlessly going through life with no direction and no guidance other than the own, your own made-up kind of darkness. You, you're not going anywhere. And, and, and Christ came to give us true meaning to life, true purpose to life, direction in life, to give us light. Now, John here is not trying to be mystical or speak religiously. He's simply trying to introduce us to reality. That we're in the dark. We have no meaning to our life, no purpose, no clear direction. We're just kind of like here on the planet Earth. And he's saying, oh, wait a minute. There is a purpose. There is a meaning. But you're just in the dark about it. You don't know the light. And so he describes Jesus like this as being the light in a dark world. I think it's profound what he's put down here. Um, Later, Jesus went on to describe, if you turn with me to chapter 3, he gives his own self-description of his coming to earth in John chapter 3, starting with verse 16. The famous John 3.16 starts out by saying what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, notice this is what we often forget. This is Jesus talking to a guy named Nicodemus who is a Pharisee who is skeptical about who Jesus is and why he came here. And and, and let's just kind of emphasize Jesus is talking here about what? Himself. Look what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's me, Nick. Nicodemus. That whoever believes in him, that's me, believes in me, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son, that's me, Jesus is saying, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through me. That's him, he says there. Whoever believes in him, that's me, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Me. That's what Jesus is trying to say this to Nicodemus, to you and me. And this is the judgment. The light, that's me, has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, that's me, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, that's me, and does not come into the light, that's me, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to, the, comes to Jesus, that's me, the light, so that, in my, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's me. If you read it that way, you really get the context of what is going on here. Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus, I am the light. I'm the light you need. I'm the light they need. I'm the light the world needs. It's, 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 it's profound that way. And often, I've been guilty of just reading it and not understanding what's being said here. Now, why would anybody... Uh, not want the light. What does he say? He says, because men love darkness. Yeah, we, we love darkness. And it's not suggesting that we have somehow had a logical uh, thing where we take all the factors about life and try and uh, figure them all out and calculate what's good and think, well, my life would be best if I lived in darkness. <laughs> no, we love darkness. He's telling us we have dark souls. We have a darkness in us. It's what total depravity in a theological term means. We're we're lost. Or we're in darkness. 
Lostness also indicates like, you're lost. You don't know where you're going. You're in the dark. That's right. That's the condition we are in. This is why the baby in the manger, which we're going to have a literal manger up here next weekend at Christmas Eve, and we're going to talk about God's visual aid, baby in the manger. But the point is that it's, he came to expose our darkness and to bring us into the light. It, it, and that's just how Jesus describes himself here in John chapter 3, which we just read. The Bible doesn't teach us that we need a little bit of light or we need to go a little deeper or we need to understand a little more. We just need more education. We just need a better chance in life. You just need social reform. Uh, uh, uh. The Bible never teaches that. The Bible says you're in the dark and your only hope is getting the light. And there's only one that can bring you in the light. It's Jesus because he's the light of the world. Wow, how profound, right? That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we sing the Christmas carols. That's why we're all excited about it. Because there's light. There's hope. It's Jesus. It's our only hope because we're in the dark. Yeah, I think somehow we've missed how dark our souls are. And I was reading uh, a commentary, and he brought up this guy, Huxley. Remember Atlas Huxley, the old atheist? From He was born in 1894 and died in 1963. He was an English writer, a philosopher, uh, you know, Brave New World. Maybe he had to read that in school. That's his book. Well, Huxley one time had a, <laughs> a moment of honesty, and he wrote these words. Listen to this confession. I had motives for not wanting the world to have any meaning. I consequently assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for the assumption the world has no meaning or purpose. The philosopher who finds no meaning for this world is not concerned exclusively with the problem of pure metaphysics. He's also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do just whatever he wants to do. For myself, he says, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially, essentially an instrument of liberation sexually and politically, enabling me to do whatever I want to do. Do you get it? He's finally confessing and admitting... Um, well, if the world had meaning, if Jesus really was the light, well, then I, I'd have to confess he's the light, and I'm in the dark, and I don't want to do that. It makes sense what Jesus said, right? Men love darkness. Yeah, we have a fallen, sinful nature that kind of wants to be hidden, kind of wants to just do what we want to do. Don't have to answer to God. And that's what keeps us from the light. It sounds so confusing, doesn't it? If Christ came as the light of the world and he comes into the world, why wouldn't people want light? He says, well, yeah, but people love darkness. The Bible clearly reveals there's only two kinds of people. There's people that are in the light and people that are in the dark. Oh, not that if you accept Jesus, everything's light and you can understand everything. No, it's a process, it's a growth thing, but it starts at one point when you finally confess, okay, you're the light of the world. Like Jesus said, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Yeah, he's saying, it's me or nothing. It's me or the dark. I'm the light of the world. Pretty profound stuff. Those are the claims Jesus made. How does one get, then, 
from the light, excuse me, from the dark into the light. Well, it's John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's belief. The only possible step anyone could make would to admit, okay, I am a sinner. I do need light. I am in the dark. And to believe that Jesus Christ is the light. As many of you know, I've, I've been struggling the uh, last couple months of my life with uh, shingles. It's a bad thing. You don't want shingles. It hurts really bad. So I had like a band of pain right around here. And, uh, you know, you're taking all these painkillers and all this other stuff, your regimen. I had pain patches on. I'm doing all this stuff. And someone had suggested and then someone else suggested, hey, you know, have you ever tried like this laser therapy? And laser therapy is uh, where they, it's more popular, I guess, in Europe and in Sweden and places like that, Scandinavia. And it's like a little laser thing. So I went and there's a doctor in Voorhees. His name is Dr. Edwin Berry. And Dr. Barry explained it all to me and said, hey, would you like to do this? You know, I've seen a lot of my patients with shingles get better a lot faster because it actually has a restorative effect on the damaged nerves, which is what shingles does. It damages those nerves. And I said, sure, we'll try it. So I'm laying on the table. He's got this little machine in my like you know, for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, you know. Well, I got to do that like seven or eight different treatments. And so I'm laying on the table and Dr. Barry and I get talking about things. Well, if I'm laying on a table talking to you, pretty soon we're going to talk about spiritual things if I get to go the direction I want to go. And we did. We got talking about spiritual things. He said, you know, I I read this book. I'd like you to read it because it talks about spiritual things. I said, really, what is it? He says, well, it's about this doctor. Her name was Dr. Mary Neal, and she was an orthopedic surgeon. And very much an outdoors girl with her husband. And they, were, they went literally down into Chile to go on this famous river with their kayaks. And they're going down the river on the kayak. And Mary went over this little waterfalls. And the kayak went nose in underneath a rock. And she drowned. She's pinned under there. And she literally drowned until finally the pushing of the water broke both of her legs. And she came gushing out of the kayak and floating downstream. They captured her body and they brought her to shore. (laughs) And after being dead like 15, 20 minutes, they brought her back to life. And they thought she'd be brain damaged and everything. But she went and she she wrote a book called To Heaven and Back. See, when she was a teenager, she had believed that Jesus was the light and asked Jesus to be her Savior and Lord, and things had changed for her. And she describes herself going to heaven like this. Listen to these words. It's one of those after-death experiences, you know, that people write about. She says, My arrival in heaven was joyously celebrated, and a feeling of absolute love was palpable as these spiritual beings and I hugged and danced and greeted each other. The intensity of depth and purity of these feelings and sensations were far greater than I could ever describe with, with words, and far, far greater than anything I had experienced on earth. So here's this orthopedic surgeon telling us, I, I, saw, I saw heaven. I was up there. She says, don't get me wrong. I've been very blessed in my life on earth with great joy and love. I, I love my husband and I love each of my children with great intensity. Uh, and that love is reciprocated. It's just that God's world that I entered into is exponentially more colorful and, and intense. It was as though I, I was experiencing an explosion of love and joy that was... Unbelievable. 
The only earthly thing I can compare this to is television. Uh, When you compare the images on an old-style tube television screen with the ones on a new high-definition television, the high-definition images are almost painfully crisp and clear in their relative brilliance and clarity. Well, regardless, it's impossible for me to adequately describe what I saw and what I felt. When I try to recount my experiences now, the description feels very pale. I feel as though I'm trying to describe a three-dimensional experience while living in a two-dimensional world, and the appropriate words, descriptions, and concepts don't even exist in our current language. I've consequently read the accounts of other, or subsequently read the accounts of others, and and, and, and found them to be the same kind of limitations that I've had in trying to describe it. For example, she gives, here's a guy named Ned Dougherty, and she said he wrote a book called The Fast Lane to Heaven, (laughs) and he wrote it this way. He says, same thing. He died and came back to life, you know, later. Suddenly, I was enveloped in this brilliant golden light. The light was more brilliant than the light emanating from the sun, and many times more powerful, and yet it did not burn me, and it seemed to warm me. The, The light was a source of energy and embraced my being. His description, she goes on to say, is like my own. Probably, and probably seems kind of nonsensical to anyone who doesn't share this experience like we had, but it was pretty accurate. She said, it was like a light. And it's so interesting that when you read these stories about people like this, they describe it, it's like the light. Well, of course, God's activity on the earth is essentially light and darkness. Jesus is essentially the light that comes into the darkness. And all of us would, would, would see him. In fact, even in the Bible, when they recount angels, where they say people see this bright angel and they bow down, you know, and he goes, no, no, it's not me. I'm just a little bit of light. You ought to see the real light, the light of the world. What we've just been talking about here is essentially what Christmas is. Like I put down in the point... Christ came because of the darkness of our souls. I'm simply presenting this to you and asking one question. Are you in the light? Are you? It's real easy to do. It's just a matter of belief. That's what Jesus said. Coming to him and saying, I am in the dark. I do need the light. You are the light of the world. Point two is like this. Christ came to bring light into our darkness. Jesus went on to describe it. Look with me at John chapter 8. There's so many verses to look at when you think about light and darkness. If you ever want to do a study, it's so fun. But look at verse 12 of chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, again, it's his self-description. Look what he says. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You and I all know that if I walk in literal darkness, whether it's in the street or out in the field, if I'm walking and it's totally pitch dark, I have a a great possibility of falling, stumbling, maybe getting hurt really bad, maybe even dying, maybe someone robbing me or hurting me. Yeah, you can get hurt real bad walking in the dark. Well, the same is true spiritually or figuratively, if you will. When you walk without the light of the Lord in your life, you're going to get hurt. 
This is why we need a Savior, the light of the world, because we walk in darkness morally, mentally, emotionally, and you wonder why you get hurt. You wonder why the world hurts you. Other people hurt you. Things don't go right. Well, you're in the dark. That's why. Get hurt when you're in the dark. You need light. And what's interesting here, look what Jesus just said. I just read it to you. He said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a promise. Have the light of life. What does he mean? Well, he's trying to communicate to us. Darkness and death go hand in hand. And light and life go hand in hand. In fact, I wrote out just just four little observations. Bear with me. Let's read these together. Point one, or the first observation I made is from this verse and some of what we read before, Jesus is the one and the only light of the world. Just like Jesus claimed when he was talking to Thomas, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to get there? Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only light of this world. There is no other. Or as I put down here, all the world, number two, all the world needs is Jesus. There's no other religion. There's no other good works. There's no other reality that you can come into. God created the world with light and darkness. The world fell into darkness when Adam and Eve picked from the tree. Ever since then, God's been trying to redeem the world back to light. And Jesus is the only possible way. Or look at this, number three. Jesus is the light of the owner of the world. Remember how John described it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all that was made was made through Him, and the light. He was the light of the world. Jesus is the owner of the world. One day, this world will be filled with His light. I won't put this on the screen, but if you turn to the end of your Bible and you look to chapter 22, the last book of Revelation, I mean, the last book of the Bible and the last chapter, Verse 22, verse 5 says, And night will be no more. It's talking about heaven. They will need no lamp, light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. There will be a day when there's no sun. There's no moon. God himself will be the light, because as it says in the scriptures, God is light. We're going to read that in just a second. And in him, there's no darkness at all. In fact, turn to that. In the book of 1 John, chapter 1, written again by the Apostle John, he says this, John chapter 1, starting with verses 5 through 7. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say... We have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Wow. That's a pretty profound statement, isn't it? This kind of light and darkness thinking is is, is just so crystal clear to me, isn't it to you? It just makes things so simple and yet so complex and profound when you work it through into your soul, into your life. When I was just a young Christian, I became a Christian when I was 18, and when I was 19, someone gave me this book. It's called Calvary Road, and it's by Roy Hessian. And I remember reading it. It was talking about this very passage you and I just read out of 1 John. 
And this, this author, Roy, who's actually from England, was writing in here about this passage. And, and look what he says. This profoundly affected my life. He says, quite obviously then, it is utterly impossible for us to be walking in any degree of darkness and have fellowship with God. Because you're in the dark. He's only in the light. While we're in that condition of darkness, we cannot have true fellowship with our brothers either. For we're not real with them. And no one can have fellowship with a person that's not real or acting unreal. A wall of reserve separates him and us. Remember now, First John's written to Christians. Are they in the light or dark? Well, they're in the light. They've trusted Christ. But there's dark areas, or there's hidden issues, or there's secret sins, or there's things not dealt with. And it, and, and it breaks the fellowship with you and God when you won't be honest and in the open with him or out in the light. That's the concept. It breaks fellowship with you and me when you don't know the truth about me, or I won't tell you, or you won't tell me. Well, we can't have much of a degree of fellowship. And he's saying it's the same with God. He goes on to write this. Listen to this. In other words, you can have a relationship with God and be saved, but not have very good fellowship with him. Same is true with people. He says the only basis for fellowship with God and man is to live out in the open with both. As far as God is concerned, this means that we're willing to know the whole truth about ourselves. We're open to conviction by Him. We will bend the neck to the first twinges of our conscience. Everything He shows us to be sin, we will deal with as sin, and we will hide or excuse nothing. Such a walk in the light cannot be disclosed, excuse me, such a walk in the light cannot but disclose sin increasingly in our lives, right? Think about it, which is why we tend to love darkness. And we shall see things to be sin, which we never thought to be sin before. For that reason, we might shrink back from the walk in the light and be tempted to make cover, (laughs) But the verse goes on with the most precious words when it says, And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Everything that the light of God shows up in our life as sin, we can confess and carry to the fountain of his blood that he shed on the cross, and our sin will be gone. Gone from God's sight, gone from our heart, and gone forever. So the verse ends with this extremely important point. Yeah, when you walk in the light, you'll see how ugly you are. You'll see how sinful you are. But then the blood of Jesus continually washes you. In fact, it's a present tense. Continues to wash you. You know, okay, I read this when I'm 19 years old. I'm just a baby Christian. I'm beginning to understand this stuff. This revolutionized my life because I realized, oh, so it's really not that difficult, this Christian life. It's simply exposing it to God, saying, you tell me, you show me, you teach me, I'll do it. If I'll be honest and open with God, with others, I can have fellowship with God and fellowship with others. We can get deep. I can have these meaningful, lasting relationships with God and with other people. But it only comes if I'll walk in the light. Oh, but then... I'll see all these dirty, ugly things about me, or I'll have to change some things that I like to keep these patterns of sin. Yeah. But if I'll confess it, all I have to do is bring it to Him. And that blood keeps washing me and washing me, and I'm growing and getting brighter and brighter and brighter. 
gosh, does our world need some bright lights. Boy, do our churches need bright lights. Man, your marriage needs a bright light. You know what you need with your kids? Somebody's got to get brighter here. You, you can be. It's walking in the light. And this, like I said, this passage in the Epistle of John is written to Christians saying, guys, your tendency is toward darkness because men love darkness more than the light. And you're going to have to be the one to open up to God. I'm hoping that happens even here now. That when we take the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do, Pastor Dave's going to come out and lead us. You take that cup, you take that bread, and you say, okay, Lord, come on, you got to show me. I'll be open, I'll be honest, I'll confess it. Reveal it to me. Sometimes there's little corners of our soul. There's habits, there's attitudes that hold us back. And we wonder why there's such darkness and why things don't make sense and we feel like we're confused stumbling through life. Well, you could get some light on this if you want it. You could get some real inspiration, some real insight, some real illumination. But that only comes from the light. Illumination's not in the dark. It's not in hiding. It's not in not confessing. It's in confessing to God. Okay, Lord, you're right. I was wrong. That's sin. I, 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 I got to be delivered. It, the scriptures are so powerful in the sense that you can't, you can't like learn your way out of the dark or, or, or earn your way out with your good works. No, there's only one way out. It's Jesus. He's the light of the world. So before Pastor Dave comes and leads us in the Lord's Supper together, would you just bow with me and let me pray? Maybe right now you need to just confess because God's already exposed it to you and you go, yeah, there's... Maybe you've been a Christian a long time even and you kind of slip back into some dark patterns. Lord, forgive me would be the words to say. Remember 1 John 1, 9? It's just two verses later. He says, well, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just confessing it. Asking him to work in you and change you. Maybe you've confessed it a hundred times before. Doesn't matter. Come before him again. Maybe you've never confessed him before in your life. It's the idea of, of the darkness of your soul being admitted for the first time where you say, okay, Lord, I believe what you are saying about Christmas, what you are saying about Jesus. He's my Savior. All you have to do is say that to him. All you have to do is confess that to the Lord. All you have to do is believe Jesus can save you and you can be saved. So, Lord, we come before you with our open hearts, wanting to walk in the light and get away from the darkness that so deceives us. And boy, we're good at deceiving ourselves sometimes, telling ourselves things that aren't quite true. But we don't need just a little light, Lord. We need redemption. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending him for me. Confess that to him. Go ahead, you say it. Now help me walk in the light. In Jesus' name, amen.